excited to get into the message today, into a new series today that we're, we're starting called Weak Made Strong. Uh, this new series is based on uh, the fact that we are now in Lent, in the season of Lent. And if uh, any of you were attending our Ash Wednesday service this past week, you saw that we began uh, the series, the season of Lent. And Lent is a period of time where we focus on um, the, the, the brokenness in our lives and in this world because of sin. That's what Lent is about. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of realizing that things are not as they ought to be. And, and it leads us down this journey towards Good Friday, towards the cross. It's a period where it helps us to realize how much we need the cross, how much we need a savior, how much we need the work of Jesus in our lives. And then it really culminates on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection and how God has brought in not only forgiveness through Good Friday and the cross, but hope on Resurrection Sunday, that we can be alive in Christ, that we can live the lives that God has, has made for us to be able to live. So that's, that's the progression of Lent. That's what this period is about. So for today and the next four weeks afterwards, uh, Chuck and I are starting this new series, Weak Made Strong, and, and it's a focus on this brokenness and, and the need to be made strong by God. So starting next week and the weeks after, we're going to be looking at the brokenness that, that leads to grief and mourning in our lives. We're going to be looking at the brokenness brought about by anxiety and fear. We're going to be looking at um, relational brokenness and loneliness and, and different important topics. But today, we're starting off, I'm starting off with, with more of a general focus on the brokenness that exists in this world as a result of sin. And uh, we're going to be looking at a big picture view of it. And we're going to be looking in the book of Romans chapter 8. Now, I, uh, I tremble to preach from Romans chapter 8 because Romans is considered by many one of the most magisterial books in the Bible. And the eighth chapter of Romans is considered one of the most magisterial chapters in one of the most magisterial books in the Bible. So this is a very, very rich, rich passage today that we're going to be looking at. And um, I hope to be able to do it just a modicum of justice here as we, as we consider what's going on here. So um, we're going to read like kind of stop and go. We're going to read a little, talk a little, read into a little, talk a little, like when you first learn how to drive, right? The stop and go type thing. We're going to do a little bit of that today. And we're going to start here with verses 18 down to 22. So let's read this. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, and this, this is the world we're talking about, the universe, the, the world that we live in. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation 
has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What's happening here? First, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, what he's talking about is he's saying this world that we live in, creation, our planet, our universe, the the, the birds and, and the fish and the animals, all of it, everything around us is groaning, is groaning because of how broken it has become because of sin. Sin has left our world broken. And there are so many examples of this that we can point to. Like, you know, for example, when you look in Genesis, when when sin entered the world, it screwed up the plants and the fruit-bearing trees and all those things. Did you know that before sin happened, before Adam brought sin into the world, we did not have to work for our food? You just walk around and the trees just made fruit for you and the vegetables were there and the, the peas and the beans were growing. I grew fava beans in my backyard this season. I spent three months on it, not one bean. Not one bean. That's not the way it was supposed to be. But that's because of sin. Now the world creates thorns and thistles and we have to work in order to have our food. Creation groans because of natural disasters. I do not believe that in paradise that there were supposed to be earthquakes, wildfires, tsunamis, hurricanes, any of those things. I I think those things came into the world as a result of sin. The world became broken because of that, and the world is groaning. Diseases springing up from from bats or pigs or different animals, um, you know, everything from the bubonic plague to to, uh, cancer to uh, COVID that we see around us. I don't think these things, I know that these things were not a part of the world before sin entered it. Even animals killing each other, even animals killing us, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Like, look at this picture that Isaiah paints of what life will be like when the Messiah comes and and he returns. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is how things are supposed to be. I went hiking with Christine and my kids yesterday, and we were walking around, and and Christine saw a salamander. She said, ah, salamander, oh, right? Sorry, it's hard to blow up your spot there, honey. That's that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be hugging the salamander and, 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 and just, you know, at peace, and that's the way creation was supposed to be. But now, because of sin, creation is groaning. Not that creation has a mind or a soul or a spirit. It's symbolic language here. But what Paul is saying is this world is so broken. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And it is groaning. It is longing for something different. It is longing for a change here. And not only is this the case with creation, 
but it's also the, crea- the case with us. Verse 23, he goes on, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul is saying here that we also are groaning. We're groaning because our bodies eventually fall apart. We get sick, we get old, we get arthritis, and we die. And when our body begins to fall apart, you begin to groan under the weight of a body that is broken and not working the way that it was used to. I know that if you're, if you're in your teens, if you're in your 20s, you may be like, ah, you know, what is he talking about? It's all theoretical, right? I remember what it was like to be young. But now, every time I get in and out of my car, I groan. Christine was saying to me, why do you groan every time you get in your car and you get out of your car? I was like, because my bones hurt. Everything hurts. My body is groaning because it's starting to fall apart. We groan under the weight of cancer. Not, not only because we smoke or because of the things we eat, but because there's things messed up in our DNA that led to cancer in many, many people through no fault of their own. It's because our bodies were groaning because of the effects of sin upon our bodies. People are born with disabilities, born without limbs, born blind, born deaf, all of these things because sin has entered into the world and messed it up and our bodies groan. This is why nobody wants to die. This is why fearing death is very normal if you don't have God, because it's abnormal, because we were never supposed to die. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's very unnatural. And our bodies groan as they start to fall apart. Now, that's bleak. Now, what do we do? What do we do? We are in the midst of this broken world with these broken and breaking down bodies, what do we do in the face of all of this? Well, there's a couple of things. One, Paul says, is we are to have hope. He says this in the next verse, for in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What is the hope that he's talking about? What he just said, the redemption of our bodies, right? Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of glory, meaning creation is waiting for Jesus to come back. And when Jesus comes back again, like Chuck talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, the heavens and the earth will be made new again as well. And there will be no more sin affecting our world and our bodies will be renewed and restored and and made glorious All of these things will happen when Jesus returns. So we are to hope in that. We are to look forward to that. And that is to keep us going. Um, And he says here, who hopes for what he sees? Right? If If you hope, for example, for a promotion at your work, and you're hoping for this, you're hoping, hoping, hoping that you get a promotion, and your boss calls you in to his office or her office, and and she says to you, hey, congratulations, you got promoted. At that point, you are no longer hoping for a promotion, right? Because you already got it. 
You see, you heard that you got a promotion. You no longer hope for it because it has become realized. This is why Paul is saying, this is something that we wait for, that we hope for, because it is not yet. But when Jesus returns, he will renew the heavens and the earth and our bodies as well if we are in Jesus Christ, if we have put our faith in him. But, brothers and sisters, but hope alone is not enough. That's not all that there is. In verse 26, and now this is, this is really the heart of what I want to talk about today. Verse 26 and the next few verses here. Paul says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there is a lot going on here. What is Paul talking about? What is this weakness that Paul says that we have? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is this weakness? This weakness, Paul says, is not knowing what to pray for as we ought. It is a weakness of, of, of confusion. It's a weakness of not knowing what to do. It's a weakness of not knowing what to pray for. Now, it's very important for us to understand that this weakness that Paul is talking about is not sin. It's not when you've sinned or when I've sinned. Because if, if I'm sinning, I know what I should pray for. I should pray that I stop sinning. <laughs> If I have a problem with lying and I lie a lot to people, I know what I should pray for. I should pray that I stop lying and that God gives me a conviction of how important truth is. If I steal, I know what I need to pray for. I need to pray that I stop stealing and I honor other people's possessions as belonging to them and not me. I know what I should pray for. This weakness that Paul is talking about when we don't know is when we don't know what to pray for as we ought to in a certain moment when we're faced with certain things. What Paul is talking about here is when we are faced with such brokenness, like he just talked about, brokenness in the world, brokenness in our bodies that is so deep, that is so agonizing, that is so perplexing, that is so baffling, that we simply don't know what to do. We bring that to God. The Holy Spirit helps us we're in those situations. Not because of our sin, but because of the brokenness all around us. When you, when you desperately want to help somebody, maybe a friend of yours, but you just don't know how to do it, you don't know what the right thing to do is, and you come before God because your heart breaks for your friend, and you want to help this person, and you want to help him get out of the situation that he's in, and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you don't know how it will be taken, and you need wisdom, and, and you're, but you're breaking, your heart is breaking for this person in those situations when you don't know what to pray for, when you're in that weakness, the Holy Spirit helps us. When you want to serve God, but you just don't know how to do it, and you've tried, and, and maybe you've failed in different ways, and, and you're really struggling, and you're frustrated. God, how do I serve you with this life that I have? What have you called me to do? I don't know. I can't figure it out, and I'm really, really trying. It's in that moment when you just don't know what to do. The Spirit of God helps us 
in that moment. When, when, when you're facing the brokenness of, of what's happening in our bodies, when there's a couple that, that they've had several miscarriages and they don't feel like they can possibly have another one. They feel like if they have another one, it will break them. But they deeply, deeply want to have a child. They deeply want to start a family. And they come before God and they say, there's so much brokenness in our bodies and in this world, but we don't know what to do. God, what do we do in this situation? When there is so much brokenness. When we see somebody and we don't know if we should pray that the person would even live or if it is time for the person to die. Those types of situations. Like my mother who developed Parkinson's 12 years ago. And it was a vibrant retiree. Had so much as she wanted to do with life. But over the years, as the Parkinson's became more and more severe, she got worse and worse. And, and I would pray, and I pray that God would heal her, that God would restore her life. But as she continued to get worse, as dementia set in, as she became wheelchair-bound, I came to the point in my life where I began, I was praying for her. I was like, God, I don't know what to pray anymore. I don't know what to pray anymore. Should I be praying that she be healed, or, or should I be praying that you even preserve her life and prolong her life or God is this like Ecclesiastes said one of those moments is it a time to live or is it a time to die I don't even know anymore God because I see her life fall apart and what's left of her life I don't know what to do the Bible says that when we are confronted by this kind of brokenness around us in this world in our bodies in, in, in our friends, in the lives of our family members that have been ravaged by sin, and we don't know what to do. That weakness. Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us. Man, we need this help because there are so many difficult heartbreaking, heartrending situations that we face and that you will face and the decisions that you're going to have to make and at times you're not going to know what to do. The Holy Spirit is there to help you in those moments. And I got to say, help just really doesn't do justice to what the Holy Spirit does in these times of need. Like, you know, if my wife Christine can't reach the can of beans up in the top cabin in the kitchen. She says, can you help me get the can of beans? And I'll, I'll help her get the can of beans. I just grabbed it. I'm taller than her. I picked it. I give it to her. I helped her. I helped her, right? The Holy Spirit's help is so much more than that. Let me um, just get in here a little bit to this to the Greek word here that is translated helps. And you can already see by the length of the Greek word that helps is no good. Helps does not do it justice. Whatever... I don't know how they spoke back then. I don't know how they did it. Sunantilambanetai. That's the word there. And this word in Greek is actually three different words together. The first is sun, 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 which means with, along with, together with. The next word is ante, and it doesn't mean against in here in Greek. It means for. In the place of. And then lastly, the, the root verb here, uh, lambano, to take, 
take hold of, remove, bear. So um, the, the, the picture here, the word helps is actually what it means is, is somebody is coming alongside you into the place where you are to grab a hold of the burdens that you are bearing and to help bear it together with you, getting in there with you, next to you, in the trenches and helping to carry it together with you. It's like uh, your, your, your car breaks down in the middle, middle of the intersection and, and you get out and you're trying to push it and it's so difficult, but that somebody comes along next to you where you are, into the place where you are, at the back of the car, pushes it along with you, bears that burden and pushes together with you. That person is with you in that moment. That's what this help means. Coming next to you, where you are, helping to carry the burdens that you are carrying. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's how he's helping us. Now, there's more to unpack here, and, and, and this is all going to connect together by the grace of God here as we go along here. So in that moment of weakness, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us to bear our burdens in this incredible way. We don't know what to pray for in that moment, but what does the Spirit do? It says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what's happening here? This is a weird passage. What do you mean the Holy Spirit is groaning? Does, does he groan the Holy Spirit too deep for words? Now, there, there's, there are different views on this. You'll read different theologians here. And, and basically, the, what it boils down to is the question of who's doing the groaning? Is it the Holy Spirit groaning? Or is it us um, doing the groaning when we pray? Which is it? Now, some will say um, it's the Holy Spirit doing the groaning because it says, you know, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But some people say, ah, that's kind of weird. Why would the Holy Spirit groan? Ah, like, like God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they perfectly communicate. There's no need for the Spirit of God to groan. Like, well, what's going on here? And I would tend to agree with that. Now, so, so what's happening here? I believe that these groans are our groans, okay? They're us groaning in, in prayer. They're us doing it. But the Spirit is taking our groans and empowering them and bringing them before the Father. Now, what do I mean that they're like our groans? I think Hannah in 1 Samuel, is a great example of this. Hannah was barren. She was not able to have a child. There was brokenness in her body, barrenness in her body. And she went to the temple to pray for a child. And it says that when she went there, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And, and she was praying in this way where she was praying in her heart and, and, and her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out, coming out because of how deep her anguish was. And it was to the point where Eli, the priest, was like, this woman's drunk. Don't come to the temple drunk. What are you doing here? What's wrong with you? Get out of here. And she said, no, my Lord, 
She's like, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I haven't been drinking, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I think this is a great picture of the groaning that that Paul is talking about. When we come and we bring that situation, that person, that illness, we bring it before God, that brokenness, and we just don't know what to do with it. And, and, and it's so burdening to us. We're so agonized by it. We can hardly speak or we don't even have the words. We don't even know what to say to God. That's what we're doing. It's us groaning before God. Now, you say, well, but Ulysses, you didn't, but it sounds like it's the Holy Spirit doing the groaning. What, 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 you know, why are you saying it's us? Because just before today's passage in verse 18, there are a couple of verses that I think are very instructive to this point and, and help us to illuminate what's happening here. Look, right before verse 18, which we started with today, verses 15 and 16, look at what Paul says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What's happening here? Because this is really, this is a huge hint. This is in the same chapter. This is very instructive. What does Paul say here? We have the Holy Spirit within us, the spirit of adoption. He is within us, and by him, by his power, by his prompting, by his quickening and his work in our heart, we ourselves are able to cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is like Daddy. It's this deep, deep type thing that comes out of our heart, that comes out of our gut. We cry it. But it's the Holy Spirit enabling and empowering us to be able to cry that before God. And then it says the Spirit bears witness. So we cry this out, Abba, Father, through the ability of the Spirit. And then the Spirit is there before the Father bearing witness and says, Father, Father God, listen to the cry of this child, Abba, Father. And he is indeed your son. She is indeed your daughter because I, the Holy Spirit, have resurrected his heart. I am living within him. It is true. He bears witness that we are children of God. It is our cry, but the Spirit is empowering it. The Spirit is bringing it before God. The Spirit is pointing to it and witnessing that we indeed are the children of God. That's what's happening here. When we groan, when we groan, it is through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit, when we groan because we don't know what to pray, but our hearts are just broken, the Holy Spirit brings that before the Father. He empowers it. He prioritizes it. He says, Father, look. Look upon the cry of your child. And this is so encouraging, brothers and sisters. This is so encouraging that that Robert Mounts, theologian I really respect, solid guy. He said this, no passage of scripture provides greater encouragement for prayer. 
None. No other passage provides greater encouragement for prayer. The Spirit comes to the aid of believers baffled by the perplexity of prayer and takes their concerns to God with an intensity far greater than we could ever imagine. Our groans become His as He intercedes, as He prays, as He intercedes on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is incredible. Christianity is, is not a religion where it says you, you need eloquent prayers. You need to know how to pray to God. You should know the right answer at every moment in your life. And if you don't, figure it out. Then come back and pray to God. No, Christianity says you can not know. You can be baffled and perplexed and you can come before God and just go, Lord, why? I don't know. What do I do? It's so painful. I can't, I can't. This brokenness I see. What do I do, God? I don't know what to do. And God doesn't say, get your act together. Figure it out. Read the Bible more. No, the Holy Spirit comes and he takes that prayer. He rushes it to the presence of the Father. He says, God, look at the cry of your child. Look at the cry of your child. Even when we don't know what we should be praying. I love what Richard Sibbs, 1500s, 1600s, Reformation theologian, he said simply this. I love this line. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. Even when we don't know what to even ask for, God knows. God knows. It is so encouraging because, as Paul says here, and he who searches hearts, God the Father, he searches hearts, he knows all hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. So the Father understands, sounds like he reads the mind of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What's happening here? They're saying, what Paul is saying here is God the Father knows exactly what the Holy Spirit is praying. So the Holy Spirit is interceding for you too. He's bringing your prayers before God. The Holy Spirit, God knows exactly what the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit always prays according to the will of the Father. Because they're, they're one. They're so in sync. So what's the, what's the good news about this? God knows exactly, the Holy Spirit is praying for you in accordance with God's will. He's praying for you according to exactly what you need. And, the Holy Spirit, and, and God the Father is never confused about what the Holy Spirit is praying. He always knows what the Spirit is praying because they are one. So the Holy Spirit takes your confused prayer, takes your, 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 your questions, takes your brokenness, brings it to the Father and says, Father, you know what this person needs. And may your perfect will be done in her life. Man, this is what is happening when we come and we bring our brokenness and our heartbreak and our agony before the Lord. When we confront weakness 
the weakness of this world, the brokenness of it, and we bring it before God. This is what's happening when we pray. And, and, and if this is the case, what does this lead to? This leads to unbelievable confidence. Unbelievable confidence in life. Because context here, look at what happens next, the verses that come next. Listen to this, this tone here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Listen to what Paul's saying. No matter what brokenness you face in this life, if this is the case, that, that even in our brokenness, we can come before God just as we are with all of our questions and our confusion, and God is doing this in the background when we pray, when we groan, we know, we know that all things are going to work for our good. I, if the Holy Spirit is praying for me according to the will of the Father perfectly, I know that I trust that God is going to work all things out for my good because I've been called by him. I know that God is going to help me to be in the very center of his will and to live a life that counts because God is groaning and interceding for me in this way. That's why he goes on. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What's he talking about here? He's saying, we are going to make it. We're going to be conformed to the image of his son. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be glorified. God is going to do that. He's going to take brokenness and pain, and he's going to change it to glory and the trust and the faith in him. God is going to do that because he is working for us because the Spirit is interceding for us. It leads to such confidence. Confidence that is so strong, it almost sounds like arrogance. Look at what Paul says next here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's so confident, it almost sounds arrogant. What, what can be against me if God is for me in this way? He says, who is going to separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Are any of these things, any of the brokenness of this world, of creation or of our bodies, is it going to separate us from the love of God? No. Absolutely not. Because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with our groans and through our groans according to the perfect will of God. I'm closing here. This is why in verse 37, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When I read that, I was like, oh, that's funny. What's more than a, what do you mean more than conquerors? If you're a conqueror, you're already conquered. What's more than a conqueror? Well, if you go into the Greek, the word actually means to defeat surpassingly, to utterly defeat beyond the norm. It's not like you win 25 to 24. No, you crush your opponent 
100 to 3. That type of surpassing, um, defeating surpassingly, that type of conquering, far more than just conquering. Paul's saying that no matter what that brokenness that we're faced with, God will help us to be able to conquer that. You know, this is like verses like this, being more than a conqueror. It's, it's, you know, it's like this is the kind of verse sometimes you hear like, uh, you know, athletes use, right? I'm more than a conqueror. So when we face our opponent in the championship game, we're more than conquerors. We will defeat them through the power of God. But then the other team has Christians on it too, and they're saying the same thing. We are more than conquerors. Through the power of God, we're going to beat our rival. How does that work, right? Does God root for sports games? That's so petty. That's so petty. That's not, it's not the brokenness of losing a football game. That's not what this is talking about. You know, what, you, know what the, you know what type of conquering this is talking about? This is talking about, this is talking about Christians in Ukraine right now who are, who are praying before God, who, who are just so, they're agonizing. God, do I, do I stay in this city that is being encircled? Do I stay here in order to love my neighbors, in order to help the, those who are wounded, in order to care for them, in order to be the light of Christ here, to be a witness in this dark place? Do I stay here? And risk my life and the life of my, my kids, the life of my spouse? Do, do we do that? Or, or, or do we flee? Do we go? Sometimes in the Bible, we saw Paul. He got persecuted, so he fled to another city and he preached the gospel there. Then he fled somewhere else when he was persecuted here and he preached the gospel there. Is that what you want for us, God? To go somewhere else and continue to do your work and, and to live and to do that? God, that, that's what this is about. In those moments when they're praying with agony, God, I don't know what to do. I genuinely don't know what to do. God, and they, all they can do is groan before the Lord. This is when they become more than conquerors through the Holy Spirit who intercedes for them and says, Father, let your perfect will be done in their life. Guide them according to your perfect will so they do what is right, what is pleasing to you, even if it's difficult, whatever it is. Give them the wisdom to know how to do that. It's not about a winning a football game. It's about brokenness so severe that you just agonize. It's about persecution so strong that you fret for life. Those moments, we can come before God and we can groan. And we groan with confidence knowing that God makes us more than conquerors. I want to close with just a few applications here, and I'll invite the worship team up here as we close. First thing is this. There's a lot here in this message. First thing is this. When you don't know what to do, pray. If you're in sin, we know what to do. You pray that you stop sinning. But when you're not sinning, when you just don't know what to do, when you don't know how to help someone in their brokenness, when you don't know what God wants you to do with your life, when you don't know if you should pray for life or death, when you don't know what to do, pray. Second application. Prayer can be simple. 
Prayer doesn't have to be eloquent. You don't, you don't get extra points for eloquence. In fact, eloquence oftentimes can be, if it's done out of a prideful heart, it's off-putting to God. Prayer can be so simple that it's a groan. Prayer can be as simple as just, you don't even know what to say. All you can say when you pray is, Jesus, 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 over and over and over again. Third, his grace is sufficient even in the face of persecution. Why do I write that? What does that have to do with this? If you choose to take up your cross and follow after Jesus, not only will you face the brokenness of arthritis and your body starting to fall apart and the brokenness of natural disasters, you will also face the brokenness of persecution because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If you want to be my disciple, nobody can be my disciple unless you take up your cross, unless you're willing to be persecuted. That's the only way you could be my disciple. It's a difficult road. But if you take up the cross and you walk that road, when you face that brokenness, God will be there for you. He will guide you through it. He will help you in his perfect will. And you will be able to see that at the end of your life, you have lived the sort of life that was worth living and that you will be able to truly say, God did work all things for my good and for his glory. It's encouragement to take up the cross and follow after him. Fourth and last, let's pray together. As Grace came up and announced we're having Tuesday night prayer, and I'm really excited about this. I'm very excited about that first hour with no agenda, no topics, just an open space. And I know we have our morning, Wednesday morning prayer, and I know you, pray, you may pray at home in your prayer closet, whatever it might be. I'm really excited about this because I hope that this is a place where we can cultivate that type of heart, where we learn how to bring our heart before God as we sit before Him and as we wait upon Him and as we bring even these kinds of brokenness, this kind of perplexity and bafflement and pain, saying, God, I don't know what to do. As we cry out the name of Jesus over and over again, or as words can't even leave your mouth. Maybe you lie down on the ground and you're curled up in fetal position because you, don't, you have nothing left. You need God. I hope that it becomes a place for that. We can never accomplish the will of God, brothers and sisters, unless we become a church of prayer. Jesus said, my house is called to be a house of prayer for all nations. And this is great encouragement, brothers and sisters, this day. Come, come as you are. Come with your heartache. Come with your questions. Come with your brokenness. Come with your pain. You don't have to have the words. God knows exactly what's in your heart.